You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Susan Freeman, the founder of Freeman Means Business, has worked in law firms and business development management roles and currently consults to law firms and corporations on critical issues related to one of the most important and relevant topics in the legal landscape today, diversity. Susan helps women in business communicate effectively with the world and helps men communicate effectively with women. And today we're lucky enough to get her expertise to help us all grow in awareness and understanding of this important issue. So I've got with me on the podcast today, Susan Freeman, who's the CEO of Freeman Means Business. She's an expert on communication. She creates equity in the workplace. She helps women in business to communicate effectively with the world. And she also helps men communicate with women in business. Susan, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Scott, thank you for having me here today. This is very exciting. And um, I actually love how you set me up as a communications expert. Um, I hope that I can prove you to be true throughout this podcast. That sounds great. That sounds great. So I like the topic that we're going to discuss today, combating gender bias by understanding communication styles between genders. And it's a different world. It's amazing how just even three years ago, the world has changed. So kind of give me a big picture overview. What are the differences in communication styles between men and women? And then we'll kind of kind of drill down on that and see how we can get some action steps that'll help Uh, both genders to communicate effectively with each other? Sure, sure. So first I'll start off by saying that my shiro is Professor Deborah Tannen. Dr. Tannen is a linguist at Georgetown University, and she's still uh, writing amazing best-selling books. And I have been a student of hers for most of my adult life. And she did a lot of research, let's just say way back when, I won't say how old I was, Mm -hmm. um, but (laughs) we'll just say way back when, on how boys and girls interacted with one another, communicated verbally and non-verbally with one another on the playground. And then she tracked this behavior through adulthood. And she saw the exact replication and, and the similar and same behaviors in the corporate setting with men and women. And so she put her research together, and like I said, I've tracked her for years, in the form of several books over the years. But one of the books that I like most and recommend everyone read is Talking 9 to 5. And she points out how men and women communicate differently. So what I do when I meet with clients or prospects or even present webinars to various people in any industry, actually, if you speak, then you're a prospect for me. What I do is I focus on her research to give the data backup of what my claims are. And my claims are that men are not trying to dominate women. And I know that in this hashtag Me Too movement, that sometimes men are trying to dominate women. We are not talking about sexual harassment here. We are talking about general day-to-day communication within the workplace. Because my last many, many, many years have been spent with um, training litigators and in-house at law firms, obviously, I focus a lot of my talk on lawyers and male and female lawyers in the firm setting. Right. So what I try to be clear about is, again, men are not trying to dominate women. Their style of communication is simply 
more abrasive and bold and mm. uh, more, let's say they are bolstering one another by teasing. That's one way of bringing into their fold friends, colleagues, people that they want to work with. Um, women, on the other hand, do not pick and tease in order to do that. In fact, women engage in things like complimenting or asking questions or how did that make you feel or, oh, you look nice today. So much more collaborative and communal approach that women take. I also make it clear that women are not trying to manipulate men with their way of or rituals or way of behaving. And when I talk about behaviors and communications, I'm talking verbal and nonverbal communication styles. Do you think all of this is a result of just how we're wired together as genders? Are they cultural, cultural variables? How would you describe that? That is such a great question. And it's a great segue to what I'm about to say. So everything you just said is true. It is about genders. It is about how we are wired. And in fact, I do a lot of work, especially over in California with companies and firms that are concerned about their written communications and their spoken communications and how they're perceived by those who don't identify with either gender. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of binary language, you know, how to make sure you're speaking a language that doesn't offend that audience as well. I will say that because women fail to promote their own achievements and usually supervisors don't take note of performance where you're not able or willing to, you know, promote yourself or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you can't love you, why would I love you kind of thing? So it's important that this talk happen. It's important that men understand when women ask questions and, and want feedback that that doesn't make them unable to, you know, lead or, indecisive or needing validation. We're simply more collaborative and we're simply more transformational in our leadership. Mm -hmm. Studies show that that men, in fact, favor that create chaos and then swoop in and clean it up, like fix it like a white knight, you know? That's interesting. It is. Yeah. It it reminds me of the time when my little girl, who's seven now, when she was four, we go to the Air and Space Museum and she wanted to get a toy airplane. So I got her an F-14 and she held it against her and said, I can't wait to take it home and cuddle with it. And I thought, yeah. I thought that's building relationship. <laughs> with- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we are, it's not that men don't care. They just show caring differently. That's right. Right. Um, right. You know, think about this. You, you mentioned, so the way we communicate can be through our wardrobe. That's a huge form of communication. Men don't suffer the labeling that women do. So you might wear a dark suit, a pale shirt, change your tie, and no one would know, you know, that you were in the same suit three days in a row. And it allows you a degree of freedom because the uniformity resists that labeling or marking, as we call it. But women, women are judged on clothing, hairstyle, makeup, you know, shoes. Uh, where did you get your, your clothes? They're much more vulnerable to being categorized by society. And again, none of what I do is to say that women or men are wrong. It's to raise awareness and then create a safe space for people to communicate in their own way and still succeed. It's my belief, and many social scientists believe this, that we call it muted group theory is at play in every law firm, every engineering firm, every corporation across the globe. I only deal in the U.S., but it's very much at play. And what do I mean by muted group theory? 
it states that the people who created the operating system in which we currently operate, let's just mm-hmm. say America, right. they actually have a language that they use. And the, the language that they use is the same, you know, for all white men, because, you know, it's white men who create, created this. So the white men who created this language, they are easily understood by other white males who work within that operating system. But it's very difficult for women and other minorities to navigate that system. That's interesting. And it's just having someone that's never walked in those shoes, when I hear about these things, it's just, I'm always amazed at how much one doesn't know that you just don't know if you've never experienced that and you have never had that, that cultural perspective. Right. Exactly. We all live in our bubble, right? And it's very absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's very difficult to so I try to the first thing I do when I, I meet with clients or prospects is say we need to listen with empathy and not judgment. So try to step outside your own self and put yourself in the shoes of the other person. And in let that, me ask you this. Go uh, ahead. Those two words, empathy and judgment, what would be some working definitions for both of those? Ah, great. So you, you mentioned cultural communications earlier. I don't know that you know you did, but you did. Mm -hmm. Um, You asked if these differences can be cultural and yes, they can be. And I use a great example. You know, when I was in working in Louisiana, culturally, it was important for me to say Mr. So-and-so and and Ms. So-and-so. When I moved to Boston in financial services, if I was going to succeed there and I did, I had to reinvent myself. And so I changed my name from Susie to Susan, and I empathized with the people in that culture, if you will. Again, it was a lot of muted group theory because white males ran financial services. So I started to dress in black, brown, navy, gray pantsuits. Mm-hmm. I um, you know, pulled back on the makeup that Southern women love to put on. Mm-hmm. I um, didn't have the big hair that I used to have when I was in Louisiana. And so I empathized, I stepped into their shoes and saw what success looked like from their point of view. And I tried to fit into that culture. And that was a way of communicating through my wardrobe, through, I even lowered my voice an octave. Interesting. Wow. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. So the, the craziest part about the whole thing is that a woman there, the women who were successful back in the nineties there were either divorced or never married. So it was a sign that you take your work seriously here. And this one woman pulled me aside and said, we really, if you want to be taken seriously and not be seen as Julie, the cruise director on the love boat, we're going to take you and reinvent you. And today, (laughs) wow, wow, you get sued for that today, but she meant well, and it proved to be a very wise move on my part. So that's what I mean. I knew my audience she helped me to, to learn my audience. And I brought my expert self to the table. So when I met with the CEO, it wasn't Mr. So-and-so like it might have had to have been in the South. It was instead, you know, Jay, Steve, you know, and I'm using males names because it was all males at the leadership back then. But that's what, what helped me to become more of a trusted advisor then, you know, here I have an idea I'm trying to push or pitch, but my, my outfit is sending a message that I'm not credible or, you know, so I was able to, because I empathized with what was important to these people, you know, obviously financial services is very conservative. 
It was before the crash. Everybody was making loads of money. And, you know, I, I am not shy to say I wanted to be that girl. I wanted to be one of those who broke through and was a woman who made good money. And so in order to do so, I had to read my audience. And, right. Yeah. And that's interesting when you said you had to read your audience. I think that's actually a good way to set it up when you talk to professionals, especially people that look like me, where we just see the world through our own lens. It would be almost as if we've got to read our audience if we're giving a presentation to client prospects. Same thing with all of our colleagues, whether they're subordinate employees or staff or peers, if they happen to be from different genders or different cultures, to have that sort of empathy, like you mentioned, to see what is the lens through which they look and how can we communicate so that they hear our words. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, this is a funny story. You'll get a kick out of this. I had one person I was working with call me and say, aha, I get it now. I get it now. So tell me exactly what women are doing wrong. (laughs) And I was like, hold on, back up. Maybe I didn't explain this carefully enough, or maybe you are so entrenched in your white man bubble that you didn't realize that it's not something women are doing wrong or men are doing wrong. It's just that we're doing something similar, but differently. You see what I'm saying? We're going in the same direction, but on different paths to get many, what do they say? Many paths to the mountaintop. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's my goal is to raise awareness and then give companies and law firms strategies in order to deal with changing thoughts, attitudes that will then change behaviors because we cannot change corporate culture. You know that that's been a myth forever. No one can come in and make sweeping changes. If people at the top who make the big decisions don't change their own thoughts and behaviors, then the corporation's overall culture will not change. I think it's interesting is that the experiential base, if somebody goes through life and the more people they meet from those different cultures or the more experiences they have, the experiences they have in working with other genders closely, I think they can then see how they need to modify their communication to that audience through that empathy. What advice would you give to people that might not have had that experience in working with people of different cultures or other genders. Is there anything you would be able to tell that person that might encourage them to open up the the bandwidth of empathy in their lives? Sure. That's a great question with some tactical um, application here. So when I go into a company and we talk about the corporate culture and people say, we need to change the culture. And as I just said, you cannot, you have to change individuals' behaviors. How do you change behaviors? You change minds. You, you encourage new thoughts, new attitudes, new beliefs. How do you do that? You welcome curiosity. So I always talk about um, instead of you know, giving women or African-Americans, Hispanics or other minorities a chance, many, high, and I put chance in, in quotes because people act like it's the onus is on them to make a change to fit into the particular culture. And that's not true. Instead, you know, companies end up hiring white males because again, it's easy. They speak that same language. So what I encourage is instead be more inclusive and think about a holistic hiring approach and think about curiosity about differences and welcoming differences, not just tolerating them, but actually embracing them and making sure that you understand that, hey, 
your clients and customers, shareholders are diverse. They are of global worldviews, especially in this digital age. I mean, we, we travel either through, uh, you know, actual means like airplanes and trains and such, or through the internet or books. So I encourage people to be curious about differences right. and embrace those differences. Learn about other people's, you know, the things in the workplace. Like, for example, all, all the um, biases we see, we see many against women, like tightrope bias. Like, so, so that's one that a lot of women face. Um, I'm one of those women that have faced that. What do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I set you right up there. So, <laughs> <laughs> tightrope bias is when, let's say you're too friendly or you're so friendly that you're perceived as incompetent. So on the other side of the coin, you, you toughen up a bit, you lower your voice, much like what the transformation I did in Boston, you lower your voice and you become much more masculine in your approach. So you're aggressive, you're more assertive, you're decisive, you're, you know, this way or the highway, stereotypes that fit what we think white males are. So you sort of become the white male. And if you're to succeed in that white male's world, you're expected to do that. Well, oftentimes you see women who go that route as being seen as a B word. So right. it's difficult. It's a tightrope that we walk. You're, you know, Interesting. I see. Yeah. If you're friendly, you're incompetent. If you're not friendly enough, then you're a B. So it's really not fair. And I try to raise awareness about that. And the worst part of that is the tug of war that exists when other women who support you see that it's not popular to support you because the white males who are in power do not behave or communicate a certain way. So they might, you know, run from you and align themselves with that, which they don't, it's a lot of cognitive dissonance right. that which they don't believe in or agree with just to stay safe with their own job security. You know, what's interesting as you're talking about that, I was thinking of some of the trends that I've seen with law firms hiring hiring females in, or not hiring, but promoting them into positions of leadership. And I think that's attractive for me when I talk to prospective partners to recruit them for a firm, because it shows them that this is a firm that is making intentional decisions, important decisions, not just because somebody's female, but I think because, and not just because they want to send a signal, but because the culture of that firm embraces that. Yes. I think that's attractive to female partners. I also think it can, with the way you talked earlier about the collaborative perspective that women have more than men, and I do agree with that overall. The first time I saw that, I was working with the firm Troutman Sanders. Amy Colby had just been promoted to managing partner of the DC office, and I think that gave a lot of life to that office. It made it more of a collaborative feel, more of a social environment, which allowed partners to get to know each other, to share opportunities which resulted in growth. And another attribute of that, Susan, is that some companies, they're not giving work to firms unless they do have some sort of adversity initiative. And right. the legal spend is based on, do firms have that sort of policy and are they actually putting that into action? Yeah, well, I address that. It's a, it's a bit of a provocative place I put myself in or a statement that I make. When I say um, most DNI is lipstick on the pig. And tell me, what is DNI? How would you define that for people listening on the podcast? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So most diversity and inclusivity initiatives, mm -hmm. or we call it diversity and inclusion. Most of that is what the public sees. So 
we have a persona, even as a company or firm, we have a persona that we put out there. And most of that is, again, lipstick on the pig. Despite the strong evidence of support for DNI, firms don't practice what they preach. They might have, and look, you know this, I for sure have been on the end of creating a response to a major client where they want particular work done. And I'll realize, oh my gosh, our proposal to this RFP has no women in it or Mm. no people of color. And so sometimes without even consulting those younger attorneys or, you know, they're usually younger attorneys, someone says, well, throw the picture so-and-so in there. And then the, you know, we look diverse, but then if that client, once we get the business, if we get the business, the client pushes back and says, who's doing the stretch assignment? Who's getting paid for this work? Among the people that you put in this RFP or paraded in front of us on this pitch or show on your website or in this particular industry team, who's actually getting paid? Who's doing the work? And that's where the, oh, oh, you know, we've been exposed. You know, that's where this comes into play. I often talk about, you know, firms don't don't practice diversity or inclusion. and, And a lot of people don't realize you know, those are two different things. And, and it all stems from, again, media group theory and the, the people at the top, who's at the top, the white males are at the top, you know, those who have a subconscious bias, including employees, you know, from the top on down, you have to change that. And then the entirety of the company or firm will change. Susan, I really like your approach where you talk about these are the big rocks in the bucket, so to speak. Let's look at those variables that affect how we think, our genetic makeup, our social conditioning, and our natural biases. What did you call it? The, the MT, muted group theory, right? MGT. Yeah, is that what MGT, muted group theory. Okay, got it, got it. And then, and then talking about the specific issues that we face today in the legal environment. And then I assume that if somebody saw you do a presentation, you'd talk about action steps and recommendations. And I know we don't have time to get into that, but tell me about some of the presentations you're doing this year and other type of work that you do if a law firm or a legal trade association or some other type of organization wants to reach out to you. Tell me about what you do and how can they reach you? And we'll certainly put your website and link on the show notes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. So traditionally for the past many years, I'll say 24 years, and that gives you an idea of how old I am. I have been focused on client service as a business development uh, initiative. I think it's the most powerful initiative out there. And I don't think you can engage in meaningful client service if you're not focused on an effective workplace where you have men and women and those who don't identify with either gender working and communicating beautifully with one another. So I've gone from pure BD training to now incorporating my communications expertise and comms theory into what I do to create a a more truly diverse and inclusive workplace. And not just because clients, customers, and their shareholders demand it, but because it is the right thing to do. And it helps men and women when you create a workplace that's comfortable and collaborative with all involved, regardless of all the stereotypes, the gender, the, the religion, the, you know, you name it. There's so many out there. So you mentioned that you're doing some presentations at various trade associations this year. Is that right? I am. I have been so fortunate. I think public speaking is one of my gifts. Sure, I have a lot of flaws and faults, but one of my gifts is public speaking and training others to do the same. 
And I think that, you know, I've been lucky, fortunate to have good friends, people who've heard me speak, who've referred me. I'm going to be speaking at National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms in New Orleans in February. In fact, on the 16th, actually, of this Mm -hmm. month. And then the National Association of Women Lawyers on the 19th of next month and March 1st as well. The Legal Marketing Association, I have already addressed women of the vine and spirits, just so your audience knows that I, I work with industries outside of legal. I work with the clients who hire lawyers. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Women-owned law. I'm also speaking with women-owned law, um, that group as well. So I welcome you to pick my brain. That's great, Susan. And what's your website address? It's freemanmeansbusiness.com. That's great. And we'll certainly put that on the show notes today. And then one other question. So let's say that somebody sees you speak at these trade associations that you're speaking at. I assume that you go in and do consulting work with law firms. Is that correct? Yes. I'll work one-on-one with you to do workshops. I'll do group presentations. I'll even help in a, you know, hold your hand one-to-one setting with your, usually it's the BD people or the diversity and inclusivity officer or the HR department. Wow. Sometimes managing partners who are more progressive. If, the, if you're with a more progressive firm, you're going to be the managing partner who wants to embrace these changes and, you know, call out what needs to be done differently. So those are the folks who reach out to me. Well, this is great, Susan. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I look forward to talking with you again. And hopefully we'll have you back on here talking more about this important topic. Well, Scott, thank you for having me. It was delightful. You're delightful. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.